everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Austin Common Radio Hour. I'm your host, Amy Stansberry, and we're back for 2022. (laughs) First of all, I just want to say thank you for listening in in 2021 and for dealing with our extremely random and intermittent podcast publishing schedule. I'm still trying to get a handle on the best way to organize the show and to juggle everything else we're doing at the Austin Common, Um, but I've been doing a bunch of brainstorming and hopefully in the next month or so I'll have some exciting announcements about new podcast episodes and finally a consistent schedule. But in the meantime, I had to kick off this year with this episode, because believe it or not, it's time for another election. That's right, January 25th is actually an election day in Austin. And if you can believe it, early voting lasts from January 10th to January 21st, so we're pretty much already back in the thick of things. Uh, have no idea what I'm talking about? That's totally fine. Uh, let's start at the beginning with this one. So Greg Kassar who's been on the podcast before and who represents District 4 on Austin City Council, he is running for Congress in U.S. House District 35, which includes East Austin, San Marcos, and even parts of San Antonio. And so according to the laws of the city, since he's running for office, he has to resign from his council seat. So this special election is being held right now to find his replacement as quickly as possible. Um, but he'll, Greg will continue to serve until on city council until the new person is sworn in. So there are seven candidates who are running in this District 4 special election, and they are Isa Bunto, Monica Guzman, Jade Lavera, Amanda Rios, Melinda Shira, Ramses II Centenpenre, and Jose Chito Vela. Now, if one of these candidates receives more than 50% of the vote in the election on January 25th, they'll become the next city council member for District 4, and they'll be sworn in pretty much right away. However, if none of the candidates gets more than 50% of the vote, which could easily happen since there's so many candidates running, then another runoff election will be held between the top two vote getters, and uh, Greg Kassar will remain on city council until a new person is finally voted in. So that's the general process. Now you might be asking yourself, you know, who can actually vote in this election? And this is important. Only the residents of District 4 can vote in this council election. So, if you don't live in District 4, you do not have to worry about voting on January 25th. There's nothing else on the ballot. However, that doesn't mean that you should stop listening to this podcast, because um, one of these people will be our next Austin City Council member, and they'll be making decisions that will impact the future of this entire city, which includes you. So, it could be helpful just to get to know a little bit more about them. All right, uh, a little bit more about District 4. Where is it? (laughs) District 4 is located in north slash east Austin and includes areas like St. John's, North Lamar, Runberg, North Loop, Windsor Park. And if you're not sure which city council district you live in, which is totally okay, you can look it up by visiting austintexas.gov slash government. That's the website you want to go to. Okay, now on to the candidates. In a minute, you're going to listen in on a whole series of interviews I recorded with five of the seven candidates running. Everyone was invited to participate, but two of the candidates did not respond. But before we do that, I just wanted to share with you all some tips for digesting all this information, because I know it can be pretty difficult when you're listening to all these different candidates to really be able to differentiate between them and to understand who aligns with you the most. And that's especially difficult because City council candidates don't run under a party label, so when you go to vote, you're not going to see a D or an R next to their names. 
So here are some things that I suggest listening for, the tips that I use in no particular order. Number one is experience. City council is really complicated. Like our local government includes thousands of employees and billions of dollars of budgets and It can take a while for a new council member to learn how it all works, especially if they've never really interacted with our local government before. So if experience is important to you, keep an ear out for candidates who say they've served on city boards and commissions or task forces, or maybe who have lobbied at City Hall, either professionally or via grassroots organizing, etc., because those are good ways to gain experience without actually serving a city council member. Uh, Number two thing to look out for is community connection. You know, this person is going to represent you and your neighbors at City Hall. This is really your most, like, local elected official. So, you know, perhaps deep ties to the community is something you might value in a council member. And if that's the case, then listen for candidates' volunteer experiences. Have they served on PTAs or neighborhood associations? You know, do they volunteer at the local community garden? Whatever it might be. So community connection. All right, number three, getting into the issues a bit. You know, uh, start with housing. You know, as with all districts in Austin, housing and housing affordability is a huge concern in District 4. All of the candidates I spoke with identified this as a top priority, but there are some real differences in how they might approach dealing with housing affordability. Some candidates are more pro-density and want to see a lot more housing and housing types developed throughout the city, possibly from upzoning. Others are a bit more weary of these kind of major blanket changes to our zoning. So that's a key thing to keep out for, different approaches there. Uh, Another key issue in this election is public safety. Nearly all of the candidates, when I talked to them, mentioned concerns over higher crime rates in District 4. But they share differing views on how to address it, with some candidates favoring more of a proactive police presence and others favoring investments in alternative social services. Okay, and then my last point, the thing to keep out for is, uh, keep an ear out for, is specificity. And this is a big one. You know, it's fairly easy for a candidate to say that they want Austin to be a more affordable city, but how do they actually plan on achieving that? Do they have specific ideas in mind? And do those approaches match with your own ideas and preferences? So keep an ear out for that one. All right, so now I share all of that with you, not to say whichever candidate you ultimately vote for should check off like all of these boxes entirely, but you might favor one of these attributes over another, but hopefully it'll give you a little bit of a guide to start assessing the candidates as you're listening to these interviews. And with that, let's get on to it. <laughs> First up is Jose Chito Vela. He goes by Chito. Uh, Chito is definitely one of the more frontrunner candidates. He's been endorsed by Greg Kassar, the current council member, as well as Mayor Steve Adler, Mayor Pro Tem Natasha Harper-Madison, and council member Vanessa Fuentes. All right, let's give that interview a listen. I'm here with Chito Vela, and we are talking about this um, election for District 4 uh, City Council. Um I, I um, recognize you from being involved in a whole bunch of other political things and around at City Hall for a while now. Can, can you talk about kind of what brought you to wanting to run for this city council seat now? Because yeah. like I said, I, I know you've been involved in a lot of different community initiatives over the years. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, 
it's one of those things. My father actually was in, involved in politics uh, uh, growing up in uh, in Laredo. I'm originally from Laredo. My father was actually uh, active in the the in the old days in the Chicano movement in the 1970s in the uh, La Raza Unida uh, movement, which was a, a, a breakaway, a separate uh, a political party that that uh, started and actually ran a candidate for governor that that got like 10 percent of the vote one time in like 70 or 72. So that's my father. My mother was also has always been very, you know, community oriented, very engaged and involved. So it's kind of something, you know, I mean, I was in and around campaigns as a little kid uh, in and around courthouses. My father was an attorney. Um, so, you know, it's just something that's kind of been in my blood. Uh, I remember, you know, working polls like when I was like 15, 16 years old and stuff. Um, but in, in Austin, um, my uh, I, I've always been involved, but I, I guess I really got engaged in politics in uh, 2007 when I uh, was uh, hired to be general counsel to a state representative, uh, uh, state representative Solomon Ortiz from Corpus Christi. And I worked for him for four years for two legislative sessions. And that's really when I think I, I just kind of took it to another level, uh, got to know a lot of people involved in politics, you know, personally, intimately, uh, you know, got to know just so much about the legislative process and uh, about the interrelationship between the state and, and different cities and, and that kind of stuff like that. Um, uh, I, uh, I, I went on my own as a lawyer in private practice in, in 2011. But and with that background, I, was, I, was, I wanted to be engaged. And so the first uh, group that I really uh, uh, worked with was uh, the Workers' Defense Project. Um, I was invited to be on their board in uh, around like late 2010, 2011. I can't remember exactly when, but um, I, I got on the board. I really enjoyed it. Uh, it's a great organization, a great group. Uh, and uh, the executive director there, uh, Cristina Sinsun, uh, I got to know her very well. And I was really impressed with her. Uh, eventually, I was uh, uh, the chair of the, the board of uh, directors there at uh, Workers' Defense Project. Um, and uh, my last act, actually, as chair was uh, hiring Jose Garza uh, as uh, uh, the new uh, executive director for Works Defense Project uh, after Cristina, uh, uh, you know, uh, resigned to you know, pursue up, uh, uh, other opportunities. Uh, and, uh, and it's just so rewarding to now see him as the elected district attorney for Travis County uh, and, and on the national radar for, you know, for uh, criminal justice reform. So uh, that was just a extremely rewarding and, and uh, uh, positive experience. While I was doing that, I was also, my kids were at uh, uh, Blanton Elementary School uh, and uh, I was, you know, again, engaged and involved with the PTA there. Uh, and I became president of the PTA, I think 2010, 2011, 2011, 2012, I can't remember, but I was again, very involved around that time. Um, early supporter of Greg Kassar when he was running in 2014, uh, Greg you know, wins. And he appointed me to be his uh, first uh, planning commissioner. Um, and so I was on planning commission from 2015 to, I think, 2017. Uh, and that was probably my single greatest experience with uh, and interacting with City Hall, you know, the, the policies uh, that uh, uh, that are going to be very relevant to, uh, you know, uh, whoever's elected to, to serve on uh, council uh, in this uh, January 25th special election. Um, so that was, again, I really, I think, got to know the city uh, and the right. city politics and staff and the processes and and just the vibe, honestly, you know what I mean? It's, it's about so much more than just kind of the rules and regulations. Uh, you know, uh, political culture is also, uh, uh, um, you know, very, very important. 
Um, uh, and then I ran in 2018 um, uh, for a state rep. Uh, and it was, again, a, a really great experience uh, and, uh, uh, you know, led in the primary, uh, uh, went to a runoff with uh, Cheryl Cole and, and she nudged me out by, I think it was like 183 votes. It was a very, very close, uh, uh, you know, hard fought election, but also very civil and very respectful. You know, it was, it, mm -hmm. was, a, it was a, you know, good kind of clean election, competitive, but, but, uh, but, but decent and respectful. Um, and, uh, and honestly, like one of the things that I'm kind of most proud of uh, is that she endorsed me for um, the city council. Uh, mm -hmm. And I, I just, I really appreciate that when I sat down to talk with her about everything, we had a, just a great conversation about, you know, the 2018 election and like what she was thinking and what I was thinking. And it, it was just a, a really uh, 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 great to kind of, you know, connect with her and, uh, and, and really mean so much to me to have her uh, endorsement. Right. And, you know, you mentioned that, um, you know, Greg Kassar, who's, who served at in this, really, he's the only council member, I guess, who's ever served this particular district for district. Um, and I believe he's been pretty supportive of you as well. When you, um, when you think about running now and kind of taking over where he's left things, what do you hope to bring to the table? You know, do, what are things you hope to continue that he was working on or do differently or kind of where do you see if you were elected, continuing that that path and, and serving District Four, Greg was the 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 straw that stirred the drink on council. You know, I mean, he was the one that was really kind of, you know, setting the agenda. Whether you you know supported the agenda or you know didn't, uh, he was pushing so much. Uh, and uh, honestly, more than anything else, uh, I want to I want to be a leader on council. You know, I, I don't just want to get on there and vote. I want to push the agenda uh, and, uh, and 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 get some things done. I, I really admire a lot of uh, the the criminal justice reform efforts that ha that the council uh, uh, engaged in. Um, I am a, a criminal defense and immigration attorney, so I probably I've I've been in I've had cases in maybe 20, 25, you know counties uh, around the state. Uh, uh, criminal justice is something that's very close to my heart. I definitely want to continue to move forward on a lot of the criminal justice reform agenda that, that, that you know, not just Greg, but, you know, the entire council uh, moved on. A lot of those votes were, were unanimous or near unanimous. Um, and that's one area where I definitely want to continue, you know, that legacy. You know, the other thing, Greg, I think, and both of us coming from the workers' defense kind of background, um, we want we want to make sure that, that that working class people get their fair shake that have an opportunity that are able to you know share in the in the benefits and in, in, in the in the beauty of the city uh and, and that's something that i really want to continue uh to uh to to push on um you know i, I live in, in in windsor park which is you know it, i mean now it's like a rich neighborhood when i moved there it was not a rich neighborhood but like now the houses are like seven hundred fifty thousand dollars. It's it's unbelievable um, but they're northern parts of the district. Um, you know, your Georgian Acres, your kind of North Lamar area, where there are huge apartment complexes with very low-income families who are really struggling to make it. Uh, and uh, I just toured uh, a North Lamar uh, area with a, a, a neighborhood kind of activist there who, um, there's just so much to be done in that area. Honestly, they're not huge changes. They're just small changes that I think would substantially improve people's lives. Uh, infrastructure investments that would, one of the, there's no sidewalks, for example, like on, on large stretches of North Lamar. Uh, 
Um, you know, and you see like these kind of these little paths through the grass and the mud where people walk from their apartments to, you know, like the HEB. Uh, and, and it's just, it's like, to me, it's disrespectful to people to not, you know, uh, uh, give them basic infrastructure on a major urban thoroughfare that, you know, that, that the rest of so much of the city practically takes for granted. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, I, 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 I respect, you know, so much of the, the kind of the social justice agenda that, that Greg uh, pushed and, and I largely, uh, you know, supported. I can't think of any, you know, major uh, uh, issues that, that, that uh, I don't support, but my focus would probably be more of an infrastructure investment mm. in, you know, the city, in uh, the, uh, uh, the poor neighborhoods that have been left out in District 4. There are many of them. Uh, that's probably where my priority would be. Um, and the other one would be the light rail. Uh, hmm. I'm very happy that Austin passed that in uh, November of uh, 2020. Uh, I want to embrace that project, uh, you know, push it forward and get it done, you know, on time, on budget. I, I don't want us to get kind of lost. It's, uh, sometimes in Austin, we can really kind of right. go <laughs> deep into the planning mode, you know, <laughs> And, 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 you know, and, and, and input and all that, which is mm-hmm. good, but we did have input. It's called an election. Right. Uh, and the voters overwhelmingly with 58% of the vote said, let's build this. So I think we've got the mandate from the public to get it done. And, and I want to, I want to push that forward and get it done. Right. I want to talk about a, a few of the key issues real quick. One is housing. Um, Obviously, you, as being a member of the planning commission, like had a front row seat uh, to understanding uh, some of the difficulty we've had with our our housing and and trying to figure out how to provide more affordable housing in the city and more housing in general. What do you see? Like, what lessons did you learn from that time? That was an extremely contentious time. I feel like to be on the planning commission um, mm-hmm. with Code Next and 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 everything like that. And what do you hope that we can do now? Because I feel like there's been a lot of frustration from the public. Like, okay, you know, Code Next didn't work, or we're waiting, or there's lawsuits, or who knows what. But but what do we do? Like, we have to be doing something. So, kind of, what what are you taking from that that you'd like to bring to council? Yeah, honestly, my biggest disappointment from planning commission was that there were all these kind of smaller changes that uh, fixes, small fixes uh, mm. to, you know, zoning uh, rules, permitting rules that, you know, we would kind of run into on planning. And then it was always, well, we'll get this. We'll do this in code next. We'll do this in code next. We'll do this in code next. Code next goes down and here we are, nothing has been done, nothing has changed, you know, so it, it's very disappointing. Uh, I'm, I'm pro-housing, we need more housing in Austin. Uh, you, I, my kind of big, you know, uh, if there's a single line that, that, that defines the campaign is, is, is we must make sure that Austin is a welcoming city for working class people. And we cannot do that if houses in Austin cost $700,000. Uh, we've got to, uh, create housing options that are less expensive than what we're currently providing right now, both from a subsidized point of view uh, for people that'll just never be able to kind of rent or buy, uh, low-income folks, uh, disabled folks, elderly, you know, fixed income. Um, but we've also got to, to, to create some, some market rate homes in the 
250 to 350,000, you know, condos, row homes, kind of like those kinds of structures uh, that that will make it easier for your, you know, young family, you know, that's that's making, let's say, a good money. You know what I mean? Let's right. say they're making, you know, $130,000, $150,000, but they cannot buy, you know, they're, they're being forced out into the uh, outside of Austin to, to buy a home. Um, you know, we need to create options for them to be able to uh, uh, to, to live in the city, you know, with their families. Uh, and, and so that's what um, I really want to want to push for. Um, and just in specifics, I think right now there, there seems to be consensus on council about kind of, you know, our permitting and kind of it's too complex and mm -hmm. we need to kind of streamline some of that because uh, that's creating a lot of delays and adding a lot of cost to uh, to housing construction. Uh, and I, I sense that there's a consensus on on council to, to do something about that. And I, I would absolutely support that. Uh, and, and then the other thing uh, specifically would be we got to get housing along uh, our light rail line. Uh, there's we've got to do that. That's just a win, 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 win situation from an environmental perspective. You know, we want people to use our electric light rail line uh, and reduce their, their their carbon emissions by, you know, uh, uh, commuting to, to work downtown or to whatever other, you know, uh, uh, to uh, a location they 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 need to. Um, and, and I think we've got an opportunity to do that. And I really mm -hmm. want to add uh, uh, housing uh, around the uh, light rail line uh, and uh, uh, and hopefully get hopefully that'll make a dent in some of the you know affordability if we can add like you know, right. large amounts of housing uh, around the line. And I and I suppose that feeds a bit into the infrastructure you were talking about for District Four residents, right? If we're able to build out transportation infrastructure and housing infrastructure in these neighborhoods, I mean, quite frankly, a lot of District Four has suffered from years and years and years of underinvestment from the city. Right. So it seems like you're hoping to be able to draw more attention and, and bring some of those city services. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Uh, and the, you know, the light rail is going to stop there on 183 for the moment. Uh, there are long-term plans to extend it, but, uh, but, you know, especially that stretch north of 183, uh, uh, the Rutland Runberg kind of, you know, Georgian acres, a breaker uh, has been underinvested, uh, and, and, and we need to, uh, 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 we need to give them the, the, the parks, the, the services, uh, the, uh, you know, like I said, tr basic transportation infrastructure, sidewalks uh, mm -hmm. that, uh, that, that, that they deserve. Uh, so yes, that, that's going to be a, a, a major, a, a focal point, uh, is, uh, is making those investments and honestly, like long-term too. And this is going to be after I'm off of council. I'm, I'm, I'm not going right. to, you know, see the results of this, but, you know, I want that North Lamar Boulevard area and honestly going all the way down. I mean, you think about West campus and, and the plans for that, but to be a beautiful urban boulevard, uh, you know, with with the, you know the sidewalks and bike lanes and 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 a, and a interactive kind of you know street with you know the commercial and, and restaurants and housing and you know I mean long term you know in forty years you know I hope that that is you know like a like a St. Charles, you know, uh, I, again, I think of a Crenshaw Boulevard, maybe in LA, I, hard for me to think of the examples, honestly, but, you know, most of them are almost really in Europe and stuff like that. But yeah, that type of beautiful, welcoming urban environment with, you know, a transit, with, you know, a, a sidewalks, and trees, and you know what I mean? A, a beautiful mm -hmm. place. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, we're, we don't have too much time left. I always talk about these issues forever, but I want to touch on public safety before we close. Um, you know, this has been a big issue that Austin, um, has been dealing with and that the current, you know, that Greg Kassar, I I think really took a leadership position on. And it seems like as a city, we're still grappling with trying to figure out what's the right mix here of like, um, reimagining public safety and, and building an equitable, uh, uh, a system that's more equitable and serves people, but also, you know, there, there's also been, you know, some increased complaints from the community that, um, there aren't enough officers in their neighborhood or as many as you're used to be or, or what have you, or that the response times are going up. How, what, what's your general approach, um, if you were to be elected in, in dealing with these issues and kind of like, uh, figuring out a way to have an effective police force, but, but maybe not, but not overspending on it or providing other, other community benefits as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, uh, in my criminal defense work, I have had just so many cases, uh, the mental health cases honestly jump out at me as where, you know, I'm, I'm listening to the 911 call from my client or from my client's wife, partner, son, you know, who is basically calling 911 saying, mom, dad, my partner is having a serious mental health crisis. They're, you know, out of control. We need help. And so many times you hear them and they're like, we don't need the police. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Do you have like somebody other than the police to send? Because they know what's going to happen if the police go. You know, the police are going to arrest. You know, that's what they do. That's that's their job. So those kinds of situations, I think about, again, drug addiction, also a lot of kind of those types of a, a, a police response may not be the best response. Honestly, a police response may be counterproductive mm-hmm. because, you know, the, it, it may provoke more of a reaction from the person. It, it, you know, it may it may lead to an escalating situation where that ultimately ends in, in, in with violence or, you know, or tragedy. Uh, we've seen that multiple times in Austin. Um, so I think there are areas where we need to create an alternative response uh, where a police officer is not necessarily the primary responder on those types of emergency calls. Uh, Homelessness, I think, also uh, really falls into that area where, you know, these are more nuisance type calls Mm -hmm. than kind of violent emergency that a police officer needs to immediately respond to. Uh, there's a homeless encampment in our Creek and there was a fire and you know what I mean? Things Mm -hmm. are going on. Like, you know, uh, uh, we, we need to be able to respond to those types of situations in a humane, uh, and a compassionate way, but we do need to respond to them. Mm -hmm. I do not support this kind of like, let's just let these kind of un, you know, regulated, unsanctioned kind of campsites you know, continue to exist uh, everywhere in our city. I, I, I don't think, I mean, I don't, the public does not support that. Uh, I, I, I think the public and in my meetings with people in District 4, they've emphasized that they're, you know, they don't want to send in police and just kind of with billy clubs to clear out the, the, the camp. They want a humane and compassionate response, but they want a response. Mm. Uh, and to me, that's a little bit of what's been lacking. I mean, I, I know that the city has been doing a lot. They're investing in housing, uh, and and I think there's going to be about two to three thousand units of, of, of homeless uh, housing coming on, and I think that's going to help tremendously in the next you know year, uh, two years as that housing starts to come online. But you know we need to respond to those situations 
where you know a large camp of of uh, of homeless individuals uh you know there's drug dealing there's prostitution that gets mixed into that and it becomes a very difficult dangerous situation and 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 it becomes a real problem for the neighborhood a real problem for the neighbors we have a handful of those in district four i've visited them myself and uh, i've promised the neighbors in those communities that i will be prioritizing addressing those kinds of situations again in a humane and compassionate way but i will address it um, if people want to learn more about your campaign or connect with you all, what's a good way for people to follow along a website, anything like that. So people can learn more. Yeah. Uh, is my website. Uh, I'm on uh, Facebook, uh, Twitter, uh, and Instagram. Uh, you know, please, uh, you know, uh, follow me and, you know, scroll through kind of, you know, my stuff, you get a general idea of my, you know, thoughts and, and, and political views and, uh, and whatnot. And uh, again, I, I, I just would appreciate people's support. Uh, January 10th on Monday is early voting and uh, January 25th is the election. Uh, I, you know, uh, I, I thank you for, for your time. Thank you uh, to the listeners and, and I would appreciate folks' support. Yeah, thank you so much for taking the time to chat today. My pleasure. And that was Tito Vela. Next up, we're going to hear from Monica Guzman, another more prominent or well-known candidate in this race. Both Monica and Chito have been endorsed by the Austin Chronicle, although they do have some differing opinions about their approach to housing in particular. All right, let's give that interview a listen. I am here with Monica and we're talking about her candidacy for the District 4 City Council seat. Um, Monica, I, I've definitely seen you around town doing a whole bunch of different civic things in the past. I know you're pretty active in the community. Maybe that's a good place to start. Do you want to fill people in a bit about, about who you are and, and kind of the, the work you've been doing as it relates to Austin and City Council and our local community? Oh, well, there is a lot to tell about me. Uh, <laughs> I am a native Austinite. Um, I graduated from Lanier High School, which is now Navarro here in District 4. I graduated from St. Edward's University with a BA in political science and Our Lady of the Lake with a master's in human sciences. My work in the community goes back over 10 years. Um, I am a union member, Texas State Employees Union. So even though I'm no longer with the state, I still am considered a member because I pay my dues. So I have um, done marches uh, and protests with the union. I have marched for workers' rights. I've attended rallies for undocumented immigrants. Even back in 2017, when the ice raids were going on, I was out there with the community at Lamar and Runberg, you know, basically protesting the presence of ICE and how um, law enforcement was cooperating with them. And, and that was great to be out there to be part of that and to support them in that way. I have uh, done work regarding tenant protection, tenant rights. I am a tenant. I've been a renter for more than 30 years uh, in different parts of Austin, but also including here in current District 4 for at least the past eight consecutive years. And um, some of the work I've done was uh, in previous properties, I've lived in what's called uh, low income housing tax credit. It's basically income restricted. And I found out that P 
people were just being treated wrong. They didn't know their rights. And these were properties that were monitored, or I should say are monitored, by the Texas Department of Housing and Community Affairs. So I already had a policy background. I, I had already been a policy analyst with the state. So I knew where to go look for information. And I showed up at one of their meetings and started making noise. <laughs> Let's to say they weren't happy to see me. But it resulted in me being allowed to uh, to participate in a work group from externally, you know, email and phone calls, and working on a residence rights information, specifically for the properties that that agency monitors. It took five years to get it done, finally on their website. And like most state websites, not easy to find. <laughs> but it was it was great to be able to do that. The city's tenant relocation policy when they were first doing the initial work on that I was part of the the community group um, and uh, I was there wearing two hats one is a, a tenant the other as an organizing consultant with GAVA I used to be a BASTA organizer of building and strengthening tenant action uh, so obviously I've done yeah. a lot of the tenants are concerned yeah that's great I I, I want to talk a little bit about GAVA you work with GAVA I know that uh, you just mentioned that, and that that's an organization that does a ton of good work in our community. Do you want to just briefly explain what they do and kind of your role with GAVA the past few years? Sure. Uh, GAVA, Go Austin, Vamos Austin, uh, is health-oriented. We are not a direct service, but we work with low-income uh, residents in our neighborhoods of focus. We started out in Dove Springs, 78744, Southeast Austin. Um, expanded to the West into four or five. And then I came on, I, I started working with GAVA in 2017 as an organizing consultant. I had already done a lot of community work in North Austin with Restore Runberg and BASTA. So I helped uh, you know, identify certain areas, what would make Runberg St. John's a better direction to expand versus Colony Park or Northeast Travis County. And when I came on board as a staff member, I was a North Austin community developer so that we could push forward, you know, push north into the Runberg and St. John's community. And I helped started making the connections, meeting with residents and stakeholders. And I am now the policy director. So I support our organizers and residents with the work that they do, concerns that the residents have that are affecting their health, what, what is making it possible that they want more of it what is making it challenging, and what is getting in the way. And that could be things like access to the grocery store, you know, mm -hmm. transportation they need that's not there. So it's not just about eating healthy food or exercising or going to the doctor's office. It's the social determinants of health. And so it's actually two-way conversation I hear from the organizers and residents. So I keep an eye at the city level. And when I'm monitoring meetings, conversations at the city level, I bring that back to them. It's like, hey, I just heard about X, Y, and Z. I think this this mixes with what you're working on, or is this something the residents might be interested in? Right. And so when we talk about you know public health, what what kind of things do you feel like if you were elected, you could bring to city council? This has been, I think, I mean, obviously an issue the community has known about for a while, but a relatively newer thing for city council to be tackling, especially in light of COVID and the pandemic. What kind of things can we be working on as a city to improve equitable access to, you know, healthy food and, and that kind of thing? Well, one is investing equitable reinvestment in the community. And that's actually one of the recommendations from the Reimagining Public Safety Work Group 
I'm a task force member. And, you know, investing through Parks and Rec, investing through the health department for services. We have residents that uh, do community gardening. So money for that, that we don't have that many parks in District 4. We still have the least amount. Um, I have met parents who they know there's a huge park right across the street, but it doesn't have enough for them or they don't feel safe. So let's invest in park rangers, park programming. That way they can get out and enjoy what's sitting right there in front of them instead of having to drive somewhere else to find what they need. Uh, so that's really it. It's just looking at the recommendations. I push those um, as part of my platform is uh, that that's some of my goals is to reinvest equitably in the city. Um, and also just as far as the departments go, the health department, uh, unrecognized often, and they need to be taken care of because they're taking care of the community at large, especially the vulnerable ones. So that's something else to look at. Yeah. And, and you mentioned you served on the reimagining public safety task force. You know, this was the big um, resident group that had been working on different ways to think about funding for police services, but also just the entire infrastructure of what we call public safety. And, and that process I know has been rocky. There have been some changes at the state legislature that kind of, um, you know, influenced, I think, some of what came out of that task force. But what have been your big takeaways from that task force? And, and if you were elected, you know, what things would you really want to champion from that task force work or work that you really want to make sure continues? Um, well, takeaways. One is just the information that has gone out, just floating around, I should say, in the community that's still misleading. The police department was not defunded per se. They weren't shut down. No one was trying to shut them down. Uh, money was reallocated, uh, but most of it still stayed tied to police services. And now because of the state legislature, all the money has already been reinstated. Uh, and plus an additional eight, nine million. So what I would definitely do is push forward the, the recommendations that came out of the task force, meaningful community engagement and equitable reinvestment in the community. Um, those are the two big ones. I was in both groups, but certainly all the recommendations, we, you know, I would definitely champion those as a council member. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about housing. Obviously, that's a big issue throughout all of Austin, but I think, you know, especially in, in District 4 as well, it's an area that I think is, you know, very vulnerable to gentrification and, and displacement. Um, what do you feel like if you were elected to city council, what could we be doing as a city council to prevent displacement and gentrification or provide more affordable housing options in our city? Sorry. It's okay. Doing something here. I was trying to bring up something. Yeah, yeah. You can pull up whatever you'd like on your computer. There's a couple of different options. I mean, some will certainly take longer than others. But uh, what I would support, the, the top two, is increasing the reach of existing housing rehabilitation programs. They, they don't, they aren't broad enough. We want to make it possible for people who own market rate affordable units. They're just, they, they don't charge, you know, through the roof. It just happens to be affordable per se, you know, for, for a lot of people. 
but when their property gets older, it needs to be remodeled, rehabilitated, and that can get expensive. So unfortunately, they choose to go free market and sell. Mm -hmm. And then whoever comes in, they either raise the property and then build something brand new in its place, which is more expensive. Or if they remodel it again, it tends to be more expensive. So anybody that's there is automatically displaced. And they're also not necessarily given first dibs to come back. Not that they could afford it, but um, that's a right to stay, uh, right to return. So uh, there's something called a people's plan. It's got six parts, but the right to stay, right to return. The concept is when there's housing development, especially if it's supposed to be affordable, is allow the people in the community to have first dibs, first call, uh, or first right of refusal. If it's something they can afford, they like it, it's it's more economical for them compared to where they're currently living, then that's, that's a win. That's a win for them. You know, give them that, that way that's, they're able to stay in the community where they're probably already rooted. For people who have been economically displaced, they've already been forced out of the community, also allow them a chance to come back in if that is what they want. And that would be great. They can reestablish where they, you know, being in the community. So that was, uh, there was a resolution passed in 2018 by then Mayor Pro Tem Togo. And I know it resulted in a pilot project which was stalled because of the pandemic. I believe it is picked up again. So um, as a council member, I would fully implement and strengthen that right to return preference policy, you know, for families who have been forced out, uh, priced out of their generational community. So that that's a big one right there. Uh, another one, uh, sorry. And the other one was the, the housing rehabilitation. Those are the top two. That way people who own the affordable marketplace properties can rehab without having to sell and force a price increase. Right. And, you know, and so right now code next or, or what was called code next and I guess it's just the land, rewrite of our land development code. It's tied up in the courts, but that was a really long process. And, you know, I know I'm sure as a community advocate, you were uh, watching some of that. What, what has been your take kind of on, on how that was handled by council and, and what could we do moving forward, you know, because it, we are kind of at this stall, I guess, with it right now. Um, yes. And in 2012, I started getting involved as a community member. And then of course, through my work, it became part of my work, researching it, supporting residents. Um, and they didn't plan it well in terms of community engagement. It lacked transparency. Uh, it lacked true engaging of the community, centering them. Revamping the entire land development code basically means potentially rezoning everything within the city's jurisdiction. Your home, my home, the school, office down the street, you know, whatever it is. And not allowing people, homeowners to protest, not letting people be aware of the process so they can, you know, chime in and say what they want or what they like or don't like. It was just not well planned. Uh, I can't, I, I don't want to say it's intentional. <laughs> um, I would certainly hope it wasn't. Uh, I will say this, though, is I was very, very disappointed because I talked to a lot of people at the city in different offices that were tied to Conex, and I wasn't the only one. There are a lot of people who were saying, look, you need to slow this down. 
you need to make the open houses accessible to people who may not have their own transportation. You need to have interpreters. You need to have materials in other languages, you know, especially in council districts two and four, um, at least Spanish and English for district two and at least the top three to five in, in district four. When they were finally doing it one year, the forums, the first Spanish forum they had was three weeks after public speaking opportunity was closed. Hmm. After that does not look good. That's just not right. Um, there are parts of the land development code that could actually be uh, revised right now. Uh, one is flood. I can't remember the word. I don't want to say mitigation. Floodplain uh, policies, zoning. Hmm. It's it's ready to go. Uh, work has been done. Council can review and approve that. It doesn't have to be an all or nothing. Um, the other thing, though, the flip side to the piecemeal is when what I see is when cases are up for rezoning, whether it's someone, it's not usually someone's house, but undeveloped property and developer comes in. And especially there's a case right now up in District 4. It's a low income neighborhood, uh, at least three different languages spoken. Materials are not in languages that everybody understands. It's the technical jargon. I mean, if, if we really want to make sure that people have housing that's accessible, affordable, and it's not going to displace the other people as well, you know, we need to make sure we start with the residents. Always center the residents in the process. Always make sure they are there from step one. That's what's really huge. Um, and make sure that, you know, developers, whether they're for-profit, non-profit, a partnership with the city or something else, is, again, always make sure the residents are there, part of the process. That's, and do you feel like there's a way to, yeah, in, include them and still be able to, like, I, you know, I think there's been a lot of back and forth in the city about this. It does seem astonishing. It's like, you have this situation where, you know, I've heard this from many people that, the res, you know, there's a concern the residents weren't included and yet the process took us 10 years. And so then the complaint is like, well, do we have enough time to make this work? But, you know, do you feel like there's a way to, to do both, like to still be able to like get things done at the city, but but be more intentional about making sure the residents are are moving along with us or moving are on the same page with city council or vice versa? Uh, yes, I think it's possible. I know. I'm, I'm not guaranteeing any results that anybody wants, but <laughs> it's a process that's important. Okay. The process needs to be transparent. It needs to be language accessible, especially for District 4. We have over 50 languages and dialects spoken in this district, well, just in the Runberg area, the northern part of the district. Right. Um, now, granted, every, every piece of paper that comes out of City Hall doesn't necessarily have to be made uh, simplified language, but when it comes to engaging the community, yes, make sure it's easy enough to understand that you don't have to wait for some expert to come in mm -hmm. and explain it. That's where it's really critical. Yeah. And also find a way to make sure that the residents, when it's a board or commission or council, that they're able to access, they don't have to come to city hall. Or right now with the hybrid public speaking, that's great. You know, people can speak from their home, 
their garden, their church, wherever they may be. But even then, there are some who are not able to speak because of their work. So it would be great to find a way to, you know, um, hear what they have to say, maybe at different hours. I, I don't I, I don't know the answer to that yet, but that's something I would definitely support and, and, and champion is finding a way that everybody has access, mm-hmm. not just those from eight to five or eight to six. Yeah. Well, we're running out of time, but I want to make sure you have a quick chance. Uh, we could talk about this forever. I have like a thousand questions, but um, let's uh, let's make sure we give share a website. What's a good way for people to connect with you or learn more? I was on your website earlier. I think you've got a lot of information on there. So what's a good way? What's a website for people to follow up? It's Monica for D for M-O-N-I-C-A-D and the number four dot com. And the content is in English and Spanish. Great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat today. I really appreciate it. And that was Monica Guzman. Next up, we're going to hear from Melinda Shira, who's been involved in a lot of community and neighborhood organizations over the years, including the North Austin Civic Association. All right, let's give that interview a listen. Okay, I am here with Melinda Shira, and she's one of the candidates running for the District 4 Austin City Council seat. Um, let's see where to start. Maybe let's let's begin with a little bit about yourself. What are you up to right now and kind of what brought you to this point where you decided to run for council? Because this was a, a quick turnaround because we have a council member who's leaving. So um, it's happening quickly. <laughs> Definitely. And I I definitely had to take some time to think about it. Um, I saw, you know, a couple of candidates coming forward. And really, I just wanted to be the candidate that I would like to see and hear, um, uh, hear, you know, specific ideas to problems to issues. And that's what I've done so far. I've really focused on what is my platform? What are my ideas? And I'm really excited to to have this platform right now to share my ideas. Yeah. And so let's talk a little bit about some of your experience or what you've been doing in the community. I, I looked on your website. Um, it seems like you spent some time as the president of the North Austin Civic Association. Is that correct? You want to talk a little bit about some of your community work? Yeah. So I moved and I bought um, our first home. My husband and I, we bought our first home in 2011. And right away, I had a newsletter from the Neighborhood Association on my doorstep. Some kind, caring neighbor obviously wanted me to know what was going on. So right away, I think the first weekend, I went to my first North Austin Civic Association meeting I had next nearby neighbors who also attended the meetings and I just, I just loved it. I loved learning every part of the city government and what each department does. And I actually really saw the need and that where I could be helpful was to increase communications on every issue that was coming from the city or every concern that a neighbor had. This was before next door. So, you know, I was starting to go door to door and just getting people's email addresses and 
really communicating about any issues that, that we had, especially as it pertained to public safety at that time. Our homes were, were getting broken into a lot at that time. I think you know that's improved over time. More people have home security, more people have cameras and ring doorbells. So though we still have a lot of property crime, but not as many home break-ins as far as I'm aware. Um, so going kind of from there with these, um, you know, these just email lists, um, I, gosh, I, I was involved in everything. The first code next and really understanding what the city wanted to do there. Um, and with the first urban rail line as well, where that was gonna go along airport and that eventually did fail. I think a lot of even urbanists and rail advocates were saying really need to be on North Lamar. And from my perspective, living North of 183 off of North Lamar, totally agreed with that and um, have advocated for, for the rail to serve all of North Lamar, at least to Runberg. Um, so that was a lot of my advocacy. And just with the communications, 10-1, this, this was before 10-1, and really promoting 10-1 and promoting, you know, the first election, 10-1 election. Mm -hmm. I brought, I spent a year bringing together all of the neighborhoods and just residents, anyone who was interested. We had monthly meetings. It was myself and just one other neighbor where, um, again, this was before next door, really, um, I need to look at the dates exactly, but um, really this was all email list and really reaching out to people every month, getting people to come, getting surveys together about what were the most important um, issues for the district to ensure that not only the candidates were educated, but the media was educated on who, who district four was because we were new. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and you talked about, you talk a lot about communications. That's your professional background, right? You work in marketing day job. So that's your uh, yes. skill set that you, you uh, bring to the table. Definitely. I started with marketing. I started learning how to, you know, kind of basically build, um, you know, front end development with WordPress sites. And I started learning Photoshop uh, in design so that I can edit websites or images, you know, on the fly. And I don't have to ask anyone else to do it for me. Um, but going from there, I've really gotten into uh, web performance, looking at the analytics and the Google data studio reporting and so on. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I want to talk some about your, your plans or what you'd hope to achieve if you were elected into this office. Uh, you mentioned public safety. <laughs> That's a big one that has been a big topic of conversation here in Austin. And there's been a lot of back and forth debate about what we want the future of our police force to look like and how we sort of come up with a balance or I don't know exactly what you'd call it, but some way that we can still provide public safety and address some of the issues you talked about while maybe not spending too much money on public safety. Um, how have you been dealing with that in your community and, and what would you like to see, you know, if you were elected, how, what would your approach be to thinking about these issues of funding and managing public safety? I, I, I completely agree that, you know, there's some moderation needed to really looking um, and analyzing what, what is needed. 
I do support elements of proactive policing and not having police officers just responding from call to call. North Austin has just a lot of um, property crime. There's areas with high violent crime. And I, I just really do think that, that it helps keep the, the community safe when we have had a good relationship with our district representative police officers. We've been able to address particular areas that have a higher amount of crime. Maybe that was you know, due to certain uh, drug dealing happening in certain locations, especially near our convenience stores. Our convenience stores are robbed very often at gunpoint in North Austin. I don't know if people are aware of that or not, um, but any, and even people are robbed at the convenience stores. Um, so I, I do support proactive policing. And as I understand it, we are currently already paying for about a 400 officer deficit due to you know, stopping um, the police trainings. And I know that we are, we're starting those again, um, but I think that we do need to support continuing those trainings and hopefully uh, um, making sure that we're paying attention to the retention of police officers as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanna shift gears a bit and talk some about housing as well. There's a lot of topics to cover here, but, um, you know, obviously housing is the big issue throughout the entire city of Austin. I think especially, though, in District 4, it's a district that really runs a risk of of being gentrified really quickly. You know, I I think it's one of the uh, a place in the city where there are still a few small pockets of some semblance of affordable housing. And and I think there's always that fear and risk then that this, you know, it'll be the next place to, to really suffer, even though it already is some, but more extremely to the to gentrification. So when you're looking at District 4, what do you kind of see, I guess, as the, the needs in that district for housing? And, and what do you feel like you could do as a council member, or we should be doing as a city council to address this and help these families in District 4 that are trying to continue to live here? So... Um, over time, I, I mentioned that I was involved with the first code next and bringing together neighborhoods from all over the districts and hearing other districts saying that they did not want to increase density, but oh, that we should <laughs> um, really at, at first, I really kind of pushed back on that and said, well, we already have density. Other districts should. But I have come to a place where I I've determined that we need to be a leader on adding density and just doing it in targeted locations at this time, especially along our future rail lines. And so I would like to focus on that, on those rail lines, um, on North Lamar, the orange line, potentially blue line, and just rezoning the commercial property. It's all commercial. Um, I've seen someone um, in the news say that there's already a lot of multifamily housing on North Lamar. And I don't think that's true. Um, There is some, yes, but there is not a lot. A lot of it is actually commercial property. So um, I do think that we should rezone it with a multi-use, multifamily um, zoning requirement with a potential affordable um, housing requirement with that. Yeah. And do you feel like 
you know, when we look at affordable housing and, and code, code next, like that has been just, just this long drawn out thing. And I think it's led some Austinites or some people even on council feeling really frustrated. Like, is that even the way to go it, to do it? Or are we going to achieve anything? Cause that's been stalled out. And where do we go from here? Like, do you think that there is a path forward here to, to do meaningful things on council? Or do you feel like you can provide what is needed to, how do we break through a bit, you know, and, and start to do something on affordable housing? As the former president of the North Austin Civic Association, I was, you know, hearing um, the la- on the last kind of this, maybe the second version of our last round of Code Next, uh, there was increased zoning for Rumberg Lane, but not really uh, an increase for North Lamar. And so I brought this city staff in to hear the concerns about Runberg and increasing the density because there was, you know, some duplex that they were wanting to make into maybe six, maybe four plexes. Um, It really wasn't adding that much density. Um, But I was able to kind of say, well, isn't it more worth it to increase the density on, on North Lamar where we know we're going to get rail sooner and where we can provide a lot more um, units as well there. So I, I think um, I think just really ne- kind of listening to the community mm-hmm. and, and thinking about um, what makes sense. And I, I really think that every district can do that if they put the time and the effort into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, when we're thinking about city council as it is right now and Austin as a city, I feel like this has been a difficult few years for Austin. And there's a lot of Austin residents that I, f- I think are feeling frustrated and upset after, you know, crisis after crisis. And this is a national issue as well. But, you know, here in Austin, I feel like there's just Uh, housing has increased so much and the city's getting less affordable and we've had COVID and we had the winter storm. And I think there's probably a little bit of a disconnect between, you know, average Austinites and government. And there's been some conflict there. If you were elected, what do you feel like you could bring to city council to try and ease that and to really work with, you know, district four residents and the community and, and, and serve and serve Austinites in a way that isn't being done, or maybe isn't being done now to the level you'd like to see it. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. Um, I have been a leader on increasing communications in our community for a really long time, whether that was through volunteering to, to build websites and bring, bringing the community together to learn about 10-1, um, implementing next door. I had already had a lot of email contacts and was able to meet with next door about how to split up um, our large area into smaller groups and how, what made sense. Um, and then just, and getting it started, um, asking people to be leads for that group and, and um, inviting people and really getting that platform going. And then I started our buy nothing group as well. Um, that has been actually much bigger than I expected. I, I wanted it to, um, you know, bring, bring the community together. But now I see how it even, um, helps supports people's basic needs. Mm -hmm. I 
just kind of going off, you know, wanting to continue increasing communications, I would like to support some sort of creation of like an, an open source multilingual platform to help continue supporting, educating, um, soliciting feedback and understanding the needs of the community. So I, I think that that's really important, just the, the communication piece. Um, with Project Connect, I think that there's gonna be a lot of infrastructure uh, feedback that we're gonna need from the community. I really want to make sure that the rail is accessible to as many people as possible and really understand what, what blocks people might have in order um, to use it. So really um, increasing communication in regard to Project Connect. Another thing that I just really care about is our, our sorry, our apartments, right. our um, apartments. Mm -hmm. We have seen, um, kind of, we saw during the winter storm that certain apartments lost utilities for a much longer period of time than, than other people did. Um, I, I just think that that's terrible. Mm -hmm. And we, we've seen, um, we've seen during other periods of time during the year where you, where apartments lose um, ut utilities or have other problems. And we've seen certain multifamily properties go to the boards and commission um, time and time again without the problem actually really being resolved. And I just I just feel like there's a lot more support that we can provide to, to renters and multifamily property managers as well. Um, so I would like to create initially perhaps a task force that would determine how effective a boards and commission might be that's com completely focused on what the needs are for multifamily housing and affordable housing that might be analyzing on an ongoing basis, market availability and cost, um, occupancy rates, anti-displacement efforts, um, maybe um, understanding the utility infrastructure issues that might be happening and just what are the educational opportunities. Great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat today. I really appreciate it. Um, what's a website people can learn more if they want to uh, learn a little bit more about you as a candidate? Definitely visit Melinda, the number four, Austin.com. I've listed a, a lot of ideas that I have, and I, I don't think that any other candidate has done that. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. And that was Melinda Shira. Next up is Jade Lavera. Jade is a bit of a newcomer to Austin politics. She got involved in the past year in connection to a zoning case in her neighborhood. All right, let's give that a listen. I am here with Jade, and we are talking about uh, her candid candidacy for District 4 City Council. Um, let's start at the beginning a little bit. What, what brought you to run now and kind of a little bit of your background and what brought you to this decision today? Yes, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Um, so I'm born and raised in Austin. I've actually been in district four my entire life. And I was faced earlier, well, in 2021 with battling a rezoning case in my neighborhood, which brought me into the, into city hall. And 
it didn't take long for me to realize that city hall is very transactional and it is near impossible to be heard as a common resident citizen community neighborhood and that really was disheartening and fired me up to want to stand up and bring the community's voice to the decision-making table at city hall Mm -hmm. what um you don't have to be too specific, but what kind of brought you when we talk about zoning cases also, this is like something I think a lot of people don't know about, like what specifically made you passionate about it? Was this something in your neighborhood? Was it a new development in your neighborhood? What kind of was the concern there that brought you to city hall? Yeah, so absolutely. So it was a, it was an upzoning case. Um, essentially they were looking to upzone a single family zoning to high level commercial and high level density. Um, that would be surrounded on three sides with um, a single family. And it was just completely incompatible. It, it is in my neighborhood and um, would not be to serve the residents in my neighborhood and would serve to displace long-term residents um, in my older neighborhood. And there was no benefit to to the community. There was also no efforts to work with us to help have some benefits be be had. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think this leads into one of the key issues our city's been facing, right? And there's a ton of conversation about housing and housing affordability and how to provide that. Um, And I think there's been a pretty big debate in our city about what is the best way to provide that affordable housing? Is it building more housing? Is it increasing density? Is it providing subsidized housing? Is it a mix? Is it neither? You know, it seems like you're developing an opinion on this through interacting with City Hall. Kind of, what's your prevailing thought as to how we bring about more affordable housing opportunities in our city or prevent displacement? Right, absolutely. So I think it's a mixture. Um, and being exposed to this process in City Hall is not where my opinion was formed. I was actually in the multifamily housing industry for over 10 years, and I have experience with developers with managing apartments with the housing market in general and the the idea that increasing housing stock alone and adding more units is somehow going to address the affordability issue is false when primarily the developments that are built and the units that are added are at market rate and are for not affordable for current Austin residents. And there's not consideration for maintaining the affordable affordable housing that we currently have. Our most affordable units are our current um, our current stock. The current units that we have in stock are older communities, um, our older homes. Those are affordable. And to come in and destroy those neighborhoods to build high luxury priced housing um, further exaggerates the affordability issue and more people are displaced than is being replaced with um, even a a fraction of of those units being reserved for affordability. Mm -hmm. And and do you feel like if you were elected to city council, then what kind of policies could we be doing as a city council in order to prevent that kind of displacement Um, I guess, one, to prevent that displacement, and two, like, we do still seem to have an issue in the city where a lot of new people are moving here, 
and we might need to provide some level of additional housing, but the tricky part is how, I guess. Um, so what what are some policies that we, we could be doing at City Hall to address both that displacement and adding of some amount of additional housing in a way that doesn't exacerbate displacement? <laughs> right, absolutely. So I think that there's, from from what I have seen and and kind of seen as a common theme with how the decisions are being made specifically around development approvals and upzoning at City Hall is there is zero communication or input from the community. It's completely developer driven and there's there's no heart there um, with. Addressing the affordability issue we're not able to quote unquote, like require that some, you know, a developer has affordable, affordable housing, but we can implement programs and um, really incentivize that a little bit more so that it is worth the bang for their buck, so to speak. Um, but also I think that there's just room for us to push back in general, you know, they're going to come here and they're going to build here regardless. And we have the upper hand in that, but yet we're giving them the upper hand. And I see that as there's sort of a trend, kind of a standard now that uh, 10%, you know, they're, they're coming in like, oh, well, we're going to make 10% of this development be affordable MFI 80% um, units. And that is, again, not making a dent. It's not truly contributing to the amount that's going to be displaced. So I think just mindfulness and really attention to each case because we do need housing. We do need more units. Um, you know, I'm not anti-development at all, but I am absolutely pro neighborhoods and anti-displacement and anti-gentrification. And I think that there's a smarter way to go about it that will balance both worlds. Um, and consideration of the long-term effects and what we can expect to be a repercussion or, you know, really gains or loss in the long term needs to be reviewed in these cases. And I see that they're only looking at the short term immediate gratification, like what are we getting right now? What is that immediate gain in this transactional system? And that's setting us up for failure in the long term. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk some about public safety. Another big issue that city council has been um, addressing a lot lately and that um, I saw you have kind of identified as one of your priorities. Um, if you let's break it down a little bit, I guess. How have you you know, this has been an issue that city council has been grappling with for the past few years. Proper funding for our police department, what our police department should look like what would be your approach to our public safety system and infrastructure if you were elected to city hall? Absolutely. What do you feel like district four needs? Yeah, absolutely. So district four has the highest crime in all of Austin. And again, I've lived in district four my entire life. So since I was a kid, I've seen the fluctuations. I remember way back when, when gangs were really bad and there was focused efforts and it, you know, it improved. And what I see is that we can, again, going back to that long-term preparation in these decisions. So for example, restore Rumberg, uh, that saw, we saw a, a, a significant decrease in crime after the efforts of restore Rumberg. However, there was no plan or, or money set aside 
to maintain that. So as soon as it was done, it was done and everything went right back to how it was. Um, and so long-term planning and really maintaining those efforts so that they stick. Uh, community policing, absolutely. You know, I remember a time where we had police in our community as, you know, when I was younger and we had relationships with our police. And I know that there's people that I know that, you know, honestly, their lives were saved by having those relationships, by having someone that could hold them accountable and keep them on the right track. And that's absolutely needed. So with, with police reform in general, we do need to really look at and, and revise the police contract and make sure that proper accountability is in place, that there are not, you know, um, restrictions or, or wording that allows things to get swept under the rug. I think that operationally, there needs to be some sort of checks and balances and identifying, you know, those, those bad seeds, if you will. Um, for, for the most part, you know, police are, are good. Are, it, it's a small percentage that has, you know, that's kind of stuck in, in the old, um, mindset or, or power tripping, um, thing. And there's trends I'm sure in those officers records that show that they're prone to, you know, acting out of line and there's not currently any systems that are monitoring that to catch those red flags, to, you know, address those issues. And they're, they're getting, you know, thrown out and just completely swept under the rug. And that can all be addressed in police reform in general and in the contract, the police contract. Mm -hmm. um, we're running a little short on time. We don't have too much more, but I want to um, kind of maybe a little more quickly hit any other key priorities for you? You know, if you're elected to council, we talked about public safety and we talked about housing, but any other key issues you feel like would be top priorities for you to address or you'd like to see changes at City Hall? Yeah, absolutely. So I really want to make operational changes with how the city operates. Um, and as I mentioned, just bringing the community's voice to the decision-making table. Um, I would like to champion a residence communications department within the city. Um, something like the idea of having a one-stop shop for residents to get information, to learn how to properly navigate the system, training on civic engagement opportunities, um, and have direct communication that they can rely on with city staff. And the reason that this is so important to me is that in my experience of navigating the rezoning case, I would have to go through five different staff members before I could get kind of a complete answer to a question because they're each giving out different information. And I think that that can be easily solved by just having like a packet for each you know, agenda item. This is the required information. If anybody reaches out of interest in this topic, they are to be given this information so that at least there's consistency and more transparency. Um, and then if people want to learn more about you and your candidacy or any of your issues, the issues that you're kind of championing, championing, can't say that today. And um, what's a good website? Yeah, absolutely. So jadeforaustin.com. 
And I'm also on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, same uh, handle, Jade for Austin. All right, great. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat today. Thank you. I appreciate it, Amy. You have a great day. And that was Jade Lavera. Next up is Isa Bunto. Isa is a local artist and teacher who's also been pretty involved with the North Austin Civic Association. Okay, let's give that interview a listen. Okay, I'm here with Isa, and we're talking about her candidacy for a District 4 City Council race. Um, I'm thinking, you know, let, let's start at the beginning here, I guess. What um, what brought you to decide to to run for City Council? What was kind of the the main motivator there? You're, you're a teacher right now, right? That's your... Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, right now, I uh, am a teacher. I'm an artist. I'm a single parent. I work part-time at a restaurant and I work um, third time, <laughs> fourth time um, as part of the gig economy. And I think all those hats that I wear is what brought me to this arena. Um, I have been living in Austin since 2002, uh, North Austin since 2003 and have been you know, volunteering my time and serving our community uh, in various capacities. And um, I like doing this work. I like helping other people, but I think as I'm helping other people in um, whichever um, uh, position and or in, in the, the types of privilege that I can bring to um, uplift other people, I don't think that's enough work. I think that me giving up my time um, by volunteering is just me trying to, you know, add whatever little contribution um, that can affect change. But then I look at the, the totality of the moment and I look at, you know, our leadership in the city from the mayor down to our city council members and specifically um, the council members for District 4 in the time that I've been in Austin. And as, you know, um, my um, friend Greg Kassara served in District 4 for um, a few terms, um, I, I, you know, appreciate um, Greg's work uh, and I, I like what he's been able to accomplish. However, I see a potential for us to do more in terms of involving our community members in the work itself. Mm. And that's what I want to do. I want to come into city council um, and lead district four and bring um, community to the table. Um, uh, not just give them a seat at the table, but ask them, hey, how do you want to build this table? I yeah. want people to have not just the voice, but the leadership themselves. I don't mm -hmm. want to select few selected um, to serve on committees. I, I want that process to be truly democratic, to be truly about, hey, who wants to be involved and how can we get them involved? And, and knowing that um, District 4 is extremely diverse in socioeconomic, um, in um, cultural diversity, how can we bring everybody to this table that we want to build together? Yeah, you know, I, I think this is a, an issue that City Hall has grappled with for a while now. And we have, you know, like a formal boards and commission process where the public is able, some members of the public can serve on it. We have, 
you know, an opportunity council meetings for people to come speak. But what do you feel like could be done more than that? You know, like, why do you feel like that's not quite hitting the mark? And, and what could we do to tax to, to improve that a bit? You know what I mean? Because on the face of it, I think city council would say we do have public involvement, but what do you want to see go further? Well, you know, I think um, I, I think if we're thinking about, um, you know, the ability for uh, community members to go to city council meetings to speak, right, to sign up to speak, there's a whole um, bureaucratic, um, you know, steps, couple of steps, two, three, four, five, six steps before one could even log in to um, um, or assume that one has a computer. Um, or phone or internet service to sign on to see how to go through the process, how to sign up. Um, the city has gotten better with translations, um, but language continues to, to be a barrier. Um, and as I referenced, um, you know, the, the diverse cultural background in District 4, I teach at Navarro, and um, I know that at our campus, we have the largest, um, you know, um, uh, non-English language uh, speakers in the district with over like 200 languages and dialects spoken on our campus alone. Um, and this is just one high school in the area. And so I, I think about that and I think about my students and their families and I, I am not seeing the, the tios and the tias and the abuelitas. I am not seeing our community community at city council meetings. I'm seeing the usual suspects and, and I, I'm thinking about how how do we how do we change that? How do we shift that culture from oh here are the usual leaders here are the people that show up to all the meetings here are the people that oh they didn't make it to this meeting but they'll make it to the next meeting um, here is the people that they know that will show up to the meeting since they can't make it to the meeting <laughs> how can we expand that 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 network right and I think all of us like like myself included like I I mean well but because I think oh well I can go to the meeting I can sign up and I can speak. Um, you know, I, and I think I did at, at one point during one of the virtual city hall ones, but, and it was a whole process. And mm -hmm. I, I really had to like be mindful of like how to sign up, where to go, what to do, and so on and so forth. Um, I even put my name in for the redistricting um, commission and mm -hmm. I didn't make the cut. Um, and, and it was just, I think, I think part of it was a lottery selection and yeah. then the other part was like an appointment by the city council members. And you got to wonder about that appointment process of like how biased is that and or unbiased. Right. Um, or, or, or what, what is the consideration for them to give city council member that ability to choose who they want to serve on whichever commission. Um, and then, and then you see that, you know, they're picking the people that they perhaps may have worked with in the past um, may, you know, have um, friendships with and so on and so forth, which I, I understand, like, we want to build a coalition of like minded in, uh, individuals of people that we know to 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 be uh, 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 honest and capable in this work. I, I, I understand that very well. But, 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 but then I look at this neighborhood, I look at, you know, the boundary and I look at all the different like sub subsections of the, the different neighborhoods within District 4 and I'm not seeing the people that I'm seeing, be it from my teaching experience, mm -hmm. be it from my restaurant experience, from, from I'm working in the back of the house, be it from my gig economy when, I, when I'm um, picking up um, catering or, or events and things like that, when I'm doing landscape yard work and when I'm moving people um, to and from their apartments, you know, I am not seeing when I'm doing DoorDash, you know, mm -hmm. I am not seeing the people in this community um, function on, on any level. 
with our city governance and thereby if they're not you know part of the conversation how do we truly know what people need right what are their challenges um yeah and so i feel like while you know i want to be uh uh you know of the people for the people you know um and i can i can also you know have really high hopes of like going into city council and and making these changes my strength will lie in um, the ability for us to reach out to community. I think it just goes back to people talk about grassroots, like grassroots organization. Um, organizing is really about like kind of like seeking out like more voices, more participation from all and, and mm-hmm. to be as representative as possible. Representation is very important. Um, yeah. And, and to see the same, you know, Again, I go back to seeing the same groups of people as as well intended as we all are, and I'm mm-hmm. one of them. <laughs> I am mm-hmm. absolutely one of them. It's not enough. I want, I want, I want to hear from the students in this community. I want to hear from the children in this community. I mm-hmm. want to hear from the parents. I want to hear from you know um, uh, the the workers. I want to hear from the the people that um, bought the the the, the neighbor um, down the street that bought the highest um, uh, uh, appraised property um, in 2021. Um, at five hundred thousand um, dollars, like mm-hmm. I want to hear from from everybody. I want right. to hear from people that are in the apartment buildings, that uh, people at Northgate. They're an extremely vocal community in Northgate, but we are not hearing from them. Um, and 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 while there there's some participation in the different neighborhood associations, there's so many neighborhood mm-hmm. associations. I think there's an attempts over the years to bring those um, neighborhoods together. I'm I'm curious about how we continue to do that. And how we continue to bring all these like, like, you know, voices, ideas, energy together. Right. And so, you know, we're talking about community <laughs> engagement. Um, I want to make sure we have the chance to touch on a few different priorities. Um, obviously, that's a big one for you. What else? What are some other priorities that you would like to see focused on um, <coughs> if elected to city council? Obviously, you know. I know there's like some housing and public, tra- you know, there's a lot of things going on there, but what are your, some of your top? I'll say one more time, please. Uh, what are some of your top priorities besides, you know, you talked about community, increasing community engagement, but if you were elected, what other issues do you feel like are really pressing for district four that you'd like to focus on? Okay. Thank you for that. Um, yeah. So um, on, on top of like um, having community um, engagement and, and involvement and leadership, engagement, involvement, and leadership um, from the community members on top of that, I think that for sure in district four, as I just referenced that, you know, um, a few doors down, I have a neighbor that bought one of the highest priced homes in this neighborhood um, and really nice, um, sweet um, guy, uh, sweet couple. Um, I've met him a few times, very, very friendly, very neighborly. Um, but what's happening is I am seeing that um, my neighbors are selling their homes, um, neighbors that have been here for years, uh, and um, they're getting offered cash for their home. And so what's happening is people are being bought out of their homes and they're moving away from this area. The people that um, have lived here for you know, um, generations are moving out. It's changing, rapidly changing the face of this neighborhood. So housing affordability is really like top tier concern that I keep hearing over and over and over. And not just from the people that have been living here, but the people that perhaps want to move here that want to live here or want to remain here if they're renting, if they're whether they're renting or homeowners, um, 
it's it's really challenging. Right. I, I I I bought this house. I pay a mortgage, but because I am uh, I'm uh, going through um, a divorce, I'm going from a two income household to a one income household, and that's why I'm working as much as I I am to to afford living here. And if all of a sudden I can't pay my mortgage, um, I will have to look into perhaps living out of my car until I can't make that car payment. And when I can't make that car payment, then I am looking at getting the, the couple of tents that I have and finding a place to set those up somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's, that's not, that's not uh, 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 that far away. Um, it's, it's not far-fetched. For, for right. that that could happen to to any of us at any moment. I'm not naive to think that it will not happen to me um, just because, oh, I have a job as a teacher. That doesn't even protect me. Right now, I'm COVID positive. I am home from work. I'm not getting paid um, mm-hmm. now that I'm home from work because I've used up my sick and leave days. And so there is no protection whatsoever. Um, do you feel and- like, yeah, like, do you think, you know, this is obviously an issue throughout the entire city, and what do you feel like city council could be doing better to help protect, to help provide that safety net or help make it housing more affordable? Because this is an issue I feel like we've been talking a lot about. I think a lot of people know it's a problem, but what can we, what sort of things would you like to see happen? So I, I, I think it ties into the next issue that I would absolutely advocate for as, as a worker in this city. Mm-hmm. Uh, is a uh, um, living wage. Um, not mm. just, I'm not, I, I, I hear people want to fight to raise minimum wage and, and that's a good fight, but my fight, I'm here to fight to, uh, to, to, to demand a living wage. Um, a living wage in Austin based on cost of living is $27 per hour. Um, and, and, and we just heard that they, they increased um, the, the wage for capital um, metro um, drivers to $22 an hour. So while that's getting closer to living wage, it's not quite there yet. Uh, and so I, I think that on top of looking at how we pay our workers, because a lot of people that live in District 4 um, <clears throat> work in the service industry um, and or are in um, um, labor, right? Um, and so in construction and whatnot, and so, and, and some people are in tech. And, and so we're, we're all workers of, of some sort, you know, um, and, and, and most of us are um, uh, working middle class. And so if we have that protection we're, uh, via our em- employment, we're, uh, via our work sites, then, 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 then the thing that affects affordability is the, the ability for us to um, procure housing and maintain um, the ability to pay for our housing, right? So how do we find housing when there are no housing to be found? When I am hearing of like rent wars, people are like like, like battling like to um, outbid each other in rental prices. Uh, and, so, and, and, and so if that's happening, if rent is like steadily increasing, if there's a lack, a shortage of housing, then what, what tells me, what, what this moment tells me is that we certainly need housing. Um, we have some um, developments here and there that have popped up that seem to be successful models. I think about um, M Station as a thriving, sustainable community um, that, that has wraparound services. I think about Community First, 
um, with um, mobile loaves, uh, mm -hmm. where they're taking, um, uh, you know, um, chronic um, uh, members of the community that that face uh, homelessness um, and placing them into um, these um, uh, smaller homes. Um, and um, how do we maintain the quality of life as well for, for people as we um, think about what housing um, can be, what, what housing can look like, so that we don't shortchange people to say, oh, well, since you're um, needing housing and you need it to be affordable, so here, here's an apartment building for you. Um, why are we limiting people to just apartments, to um, uh, multiplex, uh, to uh, spaces without backyards? You know, mm -hmm. if I have a backyard, I want other people to have a backyard too. Um, and so I want to I want to look at ways that we can be creative in urban planning. This is very much about urban planning. This is very much about sustainability, about the long term prospects of how we care for this community. And if we set forth the plan now, a good plan then we will be able to kind of reap the benefits, our, our, our children will be able to reap the benefits of what we're planning today. Um, and and, and that, that, that sounds very cheesy of me to say, hmm. say that, you know, but, but I think there's truth in that, that, you know, um, uh, our children are inheriting what, what, what uh, my generation, um, you know, ha has created a sense of complacency. My, my parents' generation, right, um, ha have been, um, uh, uh, really of of the mind of you know just just work hard just work hard and you'll get what what you what you want you'll get that dream home right you'll get the um you'll you'll be able to um uh, uh achieve the american dream my goodness amy i am working so freaking hard <laughs> oh my students are coming to school passing out like falling asleep because i'm like mijo what what were you what were you doing were you like playing games last night and they were like no miss i was working at whataburger my shift didn't end till two in the morning you know, and so these are my students, their families, their parents, they're working two, three jobs. Mm -hmm. um, when I call a parent, like if I have to um, make a phone call home, they're usually at work. And this is I'm calling at six o'clock um, um, in the evening because that's when I usually get off work. Right. And so this this is pervasive that we're working so hard to chase after this American dream, but we can't afford it. Mm -hmm. We can't afford um, a, 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 a decent um, quality of life or to be able to maintain this quality of life. Housing, how do we um, build housing um, when District 4 lack um, and availability of undeveloped land in District 4? Most of District 4 has been developed. I want to say that 31% um, based on the city of Austin stats, maybe 2020, 31% um, um, are residential and like 32% are commercial. So I look at that and I look down the street here and there's um, Jaime Padron, the um, elementary school. It used to be a warehouse. They converted that super successfully into this beautiful open concept um, school. And so if that right. be mm -hmm. in the Austin Independent School District, they um, obtained the property and they converted a warehouse into a, 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 a high functioning school um, that the, the, yeah. the community is proud it takes pride in the students love their school uh -huh. I hear great feedback from staff that they're like it's a beautiful campus right and so if if we can do that through um the um independent school district then I think about the city itself we 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 right there's some opportunity there of, yeah yeah mm -hmm. of, of power and 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 an ability to look at 
what are some properties that we can um, uh, uh, perhaps uh, repurpose? And, and if we're looking at the reality of this moment of the pandemic, it has brought to light that, do we need these big office buildings? Right, right. We're, and mm, as people I, are going back, going into buildings to work, what are we doing with these empty buildings? Could we repurpose them in some way um, to make housing for people? Right. How can we build it in a way, once again, that will account for the input of the community, not just, oh, we're going to do this. And so we're going to make this like, you know, um, high rise with like 5% allotted for like the really high needs in the community. OK, check the boxes. We, we did our we did, you know, what we needed to do for charity. Uh-huh. We're, we're about charity. I want this to be about making um, uh, homes for people where we can um, um, take pride in um, where, where we live and where we work. As, as, I, as I do, I, I take pride in living and working in District 4. Right. Um, we're pretty much out of time. Unfortunately, we could talk about this stuff forever. But um, real quick, I, I want to make sure you have a chance to just share if there's a website or a social media page where people can learn more about you. Do you want to share that real quick? I have a Facebook page um, for my campaign, and it's Isabunto for Austin City Council, District 4. The um, web address is https colon forward slash forward slash www.facebook.com forward slash Isabunto forward slash. Great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat today. And that was Isabunto. And that's the last of our interviews for today. As I mentioned earlier, there are two additional candidates on the ballot, Ramses II Setepenre and Amanda Rios, but they did not respond to interview requests, and they also didn't participate in the League of Women Voters candidate forum. Okay, so don't forget, early voting lasts from January 10th to the 21st, and Election Day is January 25th. And I feel like I say this all the time, but especially for this election, voter turnout is likely to be really, 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 really low. So if you live in District 4, please remember to vote and remind your neighbors to vote as well. The person who's elected is going to be making some pretty big decisions about the future of our entire city, and they should be chosen by more than 5% of the district. So don't forget to vote. The Austin Common Radio Hour is brought to you in partnership by the Austin Common and Co-op Radio. The Austin Common is a local news source that helps Austinites be informed and make a difference in their community. You can learn more about the Austin Common by visiting theaustincommon.com or following us on Instagram at the underscore Austin underscore common. Co-op is a cooperatively run community radio station based in Austin, Texas. To listen to more of Co-op's amazing lineup of shows, visit koop.org or tune in to 91.7 FM. The show is hosted by me, Amy Stansbury, and produced by John Hoffner. You can find podcasts of the Austin Common Radio Hour on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. And one quick friendly request on this, if you like our show and you find it useful, please consider rating, reviewing, and subscribing on your favorite podcast app. It really helps us to be seen and heard by more folks in Austin. So thank you in advance if you're able to do that for us. And that's our show for today. Bye! You gotta leave.